So um, I've been giving a kind of series of a stuttered series of talks uh, on the Brahma Viharas, which are the Brahma Viharas are known also as the divine abodes or the the heavenly realms in Buddhism, and they're really the description of the awakened heart, the Brahma Viharas. They're the qualities of heart. Um, understood when the heart is not contracted, when the heart is not afraid, when the heart is not um, bound by uh, ignorance, or um, when the heart is free, basically. And the four Brahma Viharas, um, the, the first one that I talked about about three weeks ago or so was metta, or loving kindness also translated as friendliness. And it's a basic relationship to ourselves, our experience, other people, the world, that there can be, when the heart is free, it, it's just a friendly response. It's a loving and kind response to the world and to our experience of being human. And then when the heart um, meets suffering, it has this quality when the heart is free, when it's not contracted or reifies or concretized or um, covered or scabbed over. When it, in, the, in the face of suffering, the heart morphs. It has this quality. It's alive, the heart. And it morphs and it responds with compassion. And I'll speak about that more tonight. I'll speak about what's called karuna or compassion in Buddhism. And of course, life is not just suffering, but it's also beautiful and wonderful and delightful and amazing. And in the, in the goodness of life, the heart responds with mudita or joy or appreciation. And the fourth of the Brahma Viharas is um, less emotion-like. Um, remember, the Brahma Viharas are not emotions. They're states of being, they're states of heart that are innate when our true nature is free, basically. Um, and the fourth is uh, upekka, or equanimity. And it's the wisdom factor, the wisdom quality of the heart. It's the heart that, that knows and sees and understands and it balances all the other qualities of heart, the friendliness, the compassion, the joy. And the Brahma Viharas are a wonderful um, uh, inspiration and they're a wonderful reality. The experience of an open heart, of a free heart, of a heart that's... Um, uh, sensitive and alive and vibrant and responds to the world, responds to what's actually here. And so tonight I'd like to talk about um, compassion, karuna. And it, it's, um, I wrote out a really nice talk that I left at home <laughs> today. So, and but I had but I have my folder, so I had a lot of other material here. So something will come, I'm sure. But um, the way that I was thinking about it today 
as I was contemplating the talk is I was actually thinking about the Buddha's teaching on suffering. And the Buddha said many times, he said, I teach one thing, suffering and the end of suffering. Suffering and the end of suffering. And that all the teachings the Buddha gives are assumed under this value or this understanding that there's suffering and there's a possibility for ending suffering. And so everything the Buddha teaches is to um, enact, to enworld, to embody the end of suffering, to free us so that we're free from suffering. And when I was thinking about compassion, I thought of compassion as the link between suffering and freedom. As the link between suffering and freedom. That compassion is the quality of heart that allows us to open to suffering. That allows us to turn towards suffering that allows us not to be afraid of suffering because we are all going to suffer kind of plenty. It's part, it's part of the deal at the, in this life, in human life. It's part of what happens in what in Buddhist cosmology they would talk about is this realm of existence, which is the human realm which we are now embodying being born in human form has a certain amount of suffering that's inherent in it. And part of our work, part of our maturation is to learn to be free from suffering. And compassion is what allows us to do that work. It's what allows us to begin to study suffering in the service of freedom from suffering. And the, the um, template that the Buddha uses is the Four Noble Truths. Right? There's suffering, there's cause to suffering, there's a cessation of suffering, and there's a path that leads to cessation. In one way, we could think of the whole path as a skillful, compassionate, is a compassionate, skillful means to help us be free from suffering, to help us learn to let go, to help us learn to open to what's here, to what's true, and then find our freedom within what's true, instead of having to fix things or change things or remake ourselves or, you know, have some other self in a parallel universe who someday will be perfect. It's a, it's a beautiful, um, just imagine for a second, what would life be like without compassion? What would human life be like if we couldn't be kind to ourselves? If we didn't feel that uh, tenderness of heart when we hear somebody's suffering or when we see somebody's vulnerability or their fear or their pain, or their loss, or our own fear, our own pain, our own loss. 
what would life be like? I think it would be a very, a much colder place, a much less characteristically human world. I think compassion is one of the characteristics that make us human. And it's very much connected with suffering and moves us towards freedom from suffering. Have you ever had the experience of somebody else being compassionate with you and helping move you from suffering to freedom from suffering? Not move you by fixing you or changing you or berating you or judging you, but by the actual presence of the compassion itself, the kindness itself, beginning to melt the suffering. It doesn't mean that the problems go away. It doesn't mean that the difficulties go away. It means the suffering begins to melt. The idea that we can't tolerate this, or we can't be present with this, or we can't deal with this, or that we're not okay because something is happening that that kind of suffering begins to let go. And we begin to see that there's pain, there's difficulty, there's, lo- there's still loss. But that we're not bound to it. We're not clinging to it. And by clinging, remember, uh, um, clinging co- comes in two forms in Buddhism. It's either grasping onto something is clinging or pushing something away is also clinging. Either way, we're not present with the fullness of our being, the fullness of our uh, heart, the fullness to let experience touch us, and in the process of opening to it, letting letting it mature us, letting it season us, letting it soften us and tenderize us as part of that seasoning. The seasoning and the maturing in the, in the process of awakening is not a hardening and is not a tightening and is not a getting over and not a gripping, but it's much the opposite. It's a tenderness, an openness, uh, a sensitivity, an availability to experience our own experience and others' experience. All of this is in the sea of compassion. All of this only functions within the atmosphere of compassion, the touch of compassion, the grace of compassion. In Buddhism, compassion is talked about as the quivering of the heart, the quivering of the heart in the face of suffering. And it points to this tenderness and sensitivity of heart. And it's a, it's a mixed, um, it's a double-edged sword a little bit. You know, in some ways we come to practice and we just want to get rid of our suffering. Anybody ever have that experience? Right? Oh, here's Buddhism and it just we'll get mindful and we'll get aware and then we won't feel anything. The paradox is actually we may feel things more. We may be more sensitive. We may be more tender. 
but it's not a remember uh, compassion is not a Pollyanna kind of compassion it's not it's actually tender does not mean mushy sensitive does not mean uh, weak Um, open does not mean a lack of clarity or even um, precision or um, a capacity to respond appropriately. What is possible through mindfulness uh, immersed with compassion, saturated with compassion, is really the possibility for our full humanness to respond to reality. And by full humanness, I would say the Buddha was the most mature human being you could find. So I'm thinking of maturity in that way. That the Buddha, he had the ordinary level of maturity, right? He was a prince and he was married and he had a kid and he had responsibilities and he did what he needed to do and he had a good time and he had bad times. You know, he had ordinary sense of maturity. He paid the rent or the bills and... You know, things like that. And we all here have, you know, a basic kind of maturity. Some different levels than others, right? We're all still maturing. But we're talking about a level of maturation that the Buddha discovered and realized that's possible for all of us. And it's not only a maturation of the mind, which is often talked about in Buddhism, but it's a maturation of the heart. And that maturation of the heart is characterized by compassion. You know, the Dalai Lama in his Nobel Prize speech, which I thought I had here, maybe I had it somewhere else that I didn't bring. Um, Basically, he said, as long as space exists, And as long as living beings are alive, may I too come and help dispel the misery of this world. As long as space exists, may I live to help beings overcome suffering. That's quite a compassionate and mature understanding of what our life is about. And I want to be careful here because I'm, I'm going to give a big pitch for compassion tonight. But it doesn't mean that's all there is and we should never do be anything but compassionate. I mean, that would be nice, but it's probably not the reality. But it means, can we be compassionate with ourselves when we're not feeling compassionate? It means, can we start to wake up and see the holding, see the contracting, see the fear, see the identifications that are small and limited, and without judgment. If we can do that, if we can see what's true, where we are exactly, in this stage of the game, without judging it, that's compassionate. And then even more to bring a little bit of kindness towards wherever we are, however we are. Mindfulness does not actually work without compassion. 
Mindfulness is not enough. One of the, one of the myths that uh, we perpetrate a little bit is we kind of talk a lot about mindfulness in the Theravadan tradition, especially the kind of Vipassana tradition. We talk a lot about mindfulness. In some way, we do a little disservice to what we're teaching because we, you can't teach mindfulness really without compassion. You can't actually, there's many things that you can't. You can't teach mindfulness without patience, without uh, clear seeing, without ardency and love. It just really doesn't work that way. You can't just single out mindfulness and teach mindfulness and that's all there is. We don't work like that. We're much more holistic beings, human beings. And so to be mindful without compassion is dry and kind of dead and cold and distant. And if you've ever seen somebody be mindful in that way, you actually, it's not so nice to be around them. Often there's, it's a rigid kind of mindfulness. It's not full. It's not alive and embracing and contactful mindfulness. When there's compassion, it means we can actually be contactful with our suffering. We don't have to run away from our suffering. We don't have to resist our suffering. We don't have to fear our suffering. It doesn't mean it doesn't hurt. It doesn't mean it isn't difficult. It means it's workable. And, re and really, that's one of the great gifts of Dharma practice in and of itself. That it, that it offers us the skills, and this being the compassionate offering of the Buddha, it offers us the skills to see that this human life is workable. That whatever we've been given, which is different for everybody here, whatever suffering we've been given, and whatever joys we've been given, it's workable. And it's workable using the skills of, of uh, mindfulness, of samadhi and collectedness and grounding, learning how to ground in our meditation practice, learning how to, how to open to our experience in a way that's not judgmental, that's kind, that's caring, that's empathic. And that empathy begins to spread. It's not just for us, but it's actually... It, it has a very big impact on how we relate to the world. Trungpa Rinpoche, he said, the kindness and generosity that we extend to ourselves is the foundation for our ability to relate to the world. And so really it starts here, but it doesn't finish here, our practice. And that's always true. It starts here. It starts with ourselves to learn how to turn towards what's actually happening here. Where do we contract? Where do we react? Where are we afraid? Where are we angry or cranky or whatever it might be, fearful or reactive or bored? And can we learn to find our presence in that experience, in, that, in the life of that experience? 
Because to turn away from any experience is to turn away from life. And to turn towards life and to turn towards life kindly means that we can let life begin to awaken us. Then we really understand the purpose of human life from the, this perspective. From the perspective of the Buddha, the, the, per, the, the purpose of human life is to awaken, is to mature, is to bring ourselves to whatever level of maturity is possible for us. And so I want to keep talking a little more about the suffering and the connection to suffering because in Buddhism, um, um, suffering is considered the doorway to compassion. That one won't really understand compassion until one turns towards suffering. That suffering is the great um, tenderizer of our hearts. It's, the, it's what will, will allow our hearts to function so that the compassion can express itself naturally. It's not so much something you have to do. Compassion is not something you have to do. It's innate. But it doesn't function if we close our hearts, if we cover our hearts, if our hearts are hardened, which they are. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's just part of being human, that that happens as part of our um, developmental process. But at a certain point, we see that that hardening doesn't serve us, that it doesn't work. It may have worked for a while, maybe as teenagers or as young kids, or certain levels of trauma or abuse, it's actually needed. It, it's a survival technique. It gets us through. But at some point... At some point in our maturation, we see, uh, okay, that does not work anymore. That's not what's actually needed at this point. Maybe there was something traumatic or abusive before, but somehow we have to learn how to deal with that, not from the perspective of when it happened, but from the perspective of now. And even as we go through things now as adults, there'll be times we can't deal with it. It'll be too much. But that too much doesn't have to last a lifetime. It could last a week or it could last a month or maybe a year. But it, 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 we see that, no, we can't just let that happen. We can't just let life close us down, shut us off, and really kill the life of our heart, of who and what we are. Because there's something really good here. There's something quite beautiful here in this human realm, in this human form that is expressed by our heart and that is expressed through the compassion that is possible for ourselves, for our experience, and for each person. Longfellow said, if we could read the secret history of our enemies, we would find in each person's life sorrow and suffering enough to disarm all hostility. All we have to do is look around. If you really look with a clarity of vision, if you really look through the eyes of compassion, you can do it right now, you'll see suffering. It's here. It's not far away. The loss, the aging, the illness, the death, 
the pains we've all experienced. Is there anybody here who hasn't suffered? That would be interesting if somebody raised their hand. I'd, I'd trade seats with them. <laughs> and it's, it's really the great equalizer. It equalizes us over, over class, over race, over religion, over culture, over country, over community, over the whole world. We all suffer. And seeing, opening, being willing to let the suffering touch us means we can be in contact with every person in this world. That there's no person we cut out of the heart of compassion. Now again, I want to be careful here because people hear that means we're open to the suffering of all people including Hitler, right? And it's true, actually, we are. But it doesn't mean we're Pollyanna in the face of suffering. It doesn't, and I shouldn't even use Pollyanna, I don't even know who she really was, but, <laughs> but and I don't want to give her a bad reputation, but you know what I mean. What I mean is that it doesn't mean, compassion doesn't mean passivity and you just smile and everything's fine. Actually, everything's not fine. And it's one reason why compassion can really function is because we're willing to see everything is not fine. That things need to be addressed. Things need to be changed. But they're not changed out of hatred, out of fear, out of reaction. They're changed through wisdom. And the wisdom is only wise if it's seen through compassion. If we see the suffering that's at the root of whatever's happening that's not fine. Whether it's our suffering or the suffering of whoever it is, even the perpetrator, you know, there's people are suffering. The Buddha often talked about instead of looking at the circumstances so much, look at the causes. Be willing to see the causes of people's actions. Because then if we can address the causes, maybe we can actually really alleviate the suffering. If we just respond to the actions, it won't alleviate the suffering. So the compassion compels us to turn towards suffering. And the word, this beautiful word, compassion, means, if you look it up, come means with, and passion is not our ordinary or conventional idea of passion, which means intense emotion or ardor. That's not what passion originally meant. Originally, passion always had to do with the suffering of Christ on the cross in English. And I guess in Latin, going back. Um, and so it, it actually has a spiritual basis that is really important and appropriate for what we're speaking to tonight, compassion. So to be with suffering and to see the possibility, as Christ did, for the um, 
spiritual and transformative possibility of learning how to be with suffering. That it has this spiritual uh, um, um, possibility or um, um, potentiality to really change us, impact us. Um, So if we're opening to suffering from the perspective of compassion, it also isn't the usual way people think or the conventional way compassion is thought of. Compassion means that one is not overwhelmed by suffering. That true compassion is not overwhelmed by suffering. Because true compassion has within it this other quality of the heart, upeka or equanimity. And it understands that there is suffering and that there will be suffering. But it has the, the ground or the basis or the steadfastness and the clarity to open to suffering. So it's not overwhelmed, it's not codependent. It doesn't mean we get lost. This is from a very traditional Buddhist teacher, Nyanapanaka Tara, who was a monk in Asia in the last century, a Western monk who spent most of his life in Asia. He wrote, though it is often felt that it is only through becoming sorrowful, sorrowful, unhappy ourselves, that we are truly compassionate to others, this is not so. Compassion consists in wishing that others be free from suffering. We do not help others by being overcome by their misery. Between heartlessness on the one hand and being thoroughly overwhelmed by others' difficulties on the other lies the option of care without grief. And without grief doesn't mean there's not sorrow. He means not overwhelmed. And what he's saying here is there is the capacity. Remember, compassion isn't an emotion like we think of emotions. It's a state of being. It's a state of heart. It's a tenderness, a quivering, a sensitivity, an empathy with people where they are for how they're suffering. And it's the same in response to us. And it really melts the divisions. It melts our own inner division when we feel compassionate. Because one, th- one, the, the, one of the sufferings that happens is we push away our experience, push away our experience, judge our experience, deny our experience, think it's wrong. And part of the compassion is when we actually turn towards it and find our presence in the experience, something melts, something softens, something lets go. We don't do the letting go, but, but it lets go. And there's a, 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 it's a balm-like experience. It's soothing at that point. And it doesn't mean the circumstances have changed, but we've landed in the present moment fully, kindly, caringly, compassionately, tenderly, softly, or turning towards other people 
when we let ourselves be touched by the suffering, it doesn't mean we're overwhelmed. It means our heart beats with others. Our heart resonates with others. Our compassion flows. And it's really just a form of love. The other way, and this is important to say about the Brahma Viharas, is that um, it, really metta is considered the foundation and the basis, and that everything else are just forms of love. Compassion is just another form of love. Joy is just another form of love. And equanimity is another form of love. Ajahn Chah said, to turn, to run from suffering is to run towards it. To run from suffering is to run towards it. That we do so much scrambling to get away from ourselves, to get away from our experience. So much of our culture and our life is, is geared towards this, supports us to do this. Says that's the way to live, keep moving, don't stop, don't feel, don't experience, don't worry, don't be sad, have a Pepsi, <laughs> or a diamond, whatever it is. I was in Amsterdam and they have some very risque ads sometimes. And this wasn't so risque, but it was very sexy. They had this beautiful woman with a diamond in her mouth. And it was like, oh my God. You know, you just wanted to buy a diamond when you saw that. <laughs> like, you know, and you just think you'll have everything as soon as you get the diamond, right? I mean, it depends what you're into but and all that. But, but our, whole, our whole society is geared towards running away from suffering. And it makes sense if there's not compassion, if there's not kindness. What we might um, not know, what we may have forgotten, is that the compassion is already here and that it will show itself as we get present with what's difficult or what's hard or just what's true about human life, that there's suffering. And so when the compassion arises, there's a sense of benevolence, a sense of kindness. It's soft, it's, it's beautiful, it's, it's strong. It doesn't mean it's not have its power, it's powerful. But there's a sense of care or munificence or kind-heartedness. There's a warmth when we're compassionate to ourselves or to others. Traditionally, one of the pitfalls in trying to understand compassion is misunderstanding it, uh, what's called the near enemy, or something that looks like compassion, which is pity. And it could be pity for ourselves or pity for others, but it's not actually compassion. Pity distances us. Oh, it's them. 
or oh, I'm so this. Compassion is not that. Compassion doesn't make self another. Compassion just sees the suffering and responds. The fire enemy, what's called the fire enemy, or what's very far away from compassion, is cruelty or meanness or harshness or aversion in that way. And I I guess I want to say a little more about the power of compassion. Again, to to contrast it with the idea it means, oh, we're just being nice. Or we're kind and people can walk all over us. Again, that's, that's not compassion from a Buddhist perspective. Compassion is actually the most powerful um, response we can have to the world, to reality. It's a response of someone who is not bound by history who's not bound by conditions but can actually respond and so you see people like the Dalai Lama whose whole world has been taken away from him in a very real way his country his culture his people and his ability to respond with compassion towards the Chinese government. You know, he talks about my friends, the enemy. And he's not kidding. He's very sincere. Really, the Tibetan practitioners are very inspirational who talk about being in jail and never losing compassion for the people who beat them or tortured them. It doesn't mean that they like them or like being beaten or tortured. It means they see the suffering of the perpetrator and they never lose their integrity. It doesn't mean they they just roll over and do what the people say. They don't do that, what their guards say. You know, when they take their, their prayer malas away from them, then they tie knots out of cloth and make new malas so they can keep doing their prayers. And when those are taken away or they're tortured for that, then they do it on their fingers. And then when they've been beaten for that, then they do it silently to themselves and make counting, touching their tongue to to their teeth. They don't stop. They don't lose their integrity. They don't lose their sense of who they are and what they're doing. But they don't have to deny their compassion. They don't let their heart close. And they escape. You know, they're not just passive. They escape from jail and they protest again. Or they leave and and escape from Tibet. Pretty amazing what's possible. Pretty amazing what's possible for us as human beings the capacity of our heart. And of course, with the Brahma Viharas, as I mentioned when talking about love, about metta or friendliness, these are boundless states of heart. Boundless meaning they know no limit. They're not limited to, oh, just this person. I'm compassionate for this person and not that person. 
the, the maturation of compassion means it's limitless or unlimited. This is from Sharon Salzberg. She said, sometimes we think to develop an open heart, to be truly loving and compassionate, means we need to be passive, allowing others to abuse us or let anyone do what they want with us. This is not what is meant by compassion. Quite the contrary. Compassion is not at all weak. It is the strength that arises out of seeing the true nature of suffering in the world. Compassion allows us to bear witness to that suffering, whether it is ours or others, without fear. It allows us to name injustice without hesitation, to act strongly with all our skill, with all the skill at our disposal, to develop this mind state of compassion, this heart state of compassion, is to learn to live, as the Buddha put it, with sympathy for all living beings without exception. With compassion for all living beings without exception. But it doesn't mean we lose our common sense. It doesn't mean we lose our other values. It means we're willing to see the whole picture that everybody suffers. Okay, I'm going to stop here for now. So questions or comments? Be here now? The power of now. I can glance at it, yeah. some kind of awakening through his depression um, and then became compassionate. It's good to see that um, awakening is not really mature until there's <coughs> compassion. I'm sorry, I'm not able. Could you stand, please? Yeah. Maybe a little louder. Sure. Thank you. Uh huh. To recognize the difference between, let's say, pity and compassion. 
Pity always means you feel sorry for somebody. Compassion doesn't mean you feel sorry for them. It means you feel compassion for them. It's not it's not like, oh I'm so sorry or you know, or you you oh you're so it 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 doesn't have a, a positionality of oh I'm sorry for you. It's no it's the heart response. It's just a heart response. It's a warmth or a tenderness or a care. But it's not I feel sorry for you or I feel sorry for what's happening for you. The sorry separates us in some way. The compassion connects us. That, that may be the best way to say it. It's the difference between separation and connection. Right, but right. I have empathy for your happening in your life. I'm there and present with you in what's happening. Yeah. So you so people often say when they hear something bad, I'm sorry, and that's a conventional way to express our care. Um, when I'm talking about saying, you know, being sorry for somebody when you feel pity for them. How about if they said, oh, I pity you for that? That's the sorry I mean. Okay? It's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a certain kind of position of, oh, I, I pity you that you feel that now. I pity you for whatever circumstances you have, rather than actually just feeling the compassion, which I'm sorry may express it in a conventional way. If you could stand, please. Thank you. Not necessarily. No, I don't. I don't know that. You know, compassion is. It's true. It's more than a feeling, and this is the tricky part because we tend to think of this in terms of emotion. We think of the heart in terms of emotion. And, it's, and our emotions are, how could I say it, maybe more of a, not the depth of what our heart is capable of, maybe more the surface of what our heart expresses, but there's something more that the Brahma-viharas point at. They point at states of being, really. Love as a state of being, not as like, oh, I'm in love with you, or you know, or not as something that's attached, but as the radiance of heart, compassion as part of that radiance that responds to suffering, and then how we choose to act can be many different ways, depending on what's appropriate, what's needed, what's helpful. You know, remember, there's no rule book, and this is really important. There's no rule book. That's why getting, pre that's why learning how to be present is so important. So the response can respond to reality instead of some idea of what re how we should respond or some idea of what reality is. 
you know, if somebody falls down, the compassionate response may be to pick them up. But sometimes when somebody falls down, if they're a toddler and they're trying to learn how to walk, it's actually not compassionate to pick them up all the time. Sometimes the compassionate response is to let them fall and get themselves up. Otherwise, they won't learn how to do that. So there's not a rule, oh, people fall down, compassionate response is to do this, or to put oneself in danger, or to anything. It's really different for different people at different times. It's why staying present, staying awake, being here, not being lost in the past and future, but actually right here when things are happening, then we can respond. Then, then reality responds to reality. Instead, instead of some idea about reality responding to some idea about reality. How's that for a confusing statement? <laughs> huh? In the back, please. If you could stand, just it helps me hear. The question about is what's the impact of compassion, relationship of compassion to physical illness, self-healing? You know, I don't know the studies so much, but I think anecdotally, um, there's a few different ways to consider it or contemplate it. One is it seems um, like it, well, let's put it this way. It seems like it's a good thing whatever happens. If it has an impact and it helps, great. If it doesn't have an impact and doesn't help with the physical, great. I mean, great to be compassionate. Why, why not be compassionate either way? Um, because it's, we, we only, at least so far, we seem to only have a certain amount of uh, impact or control over our physical reality you know, mostly we're going to live at best a hundred years and then die. And generally for some part of that we're going to be sick and aging and it'll be difficult. Um, would it be better without compassion? I don't think so. I think compassion helps us to live into the reality of what we have and whatever suffering we're given. Now, does it help with physical illness? Seems like to me, but that's not a scientific response. So you'd, have, you'd probably do better going on the web. And there's more and more studies, so, you know, and it, it seems like it to me. To me, it makes total sense. But I, don't, I can't back that up, really. How, can you kind of talk a little bit about how you experience Compassionate anger? Compassionate anger. Great question. Sounds like a contradiction. But it's not. Of course, compassionate anger or compassionate um, uh, fire would be a nice way to put it. A compassionate response to see the suffering and, and letting that fire of seeing the injustice or in you know, inadequacy or whatever it might be in the world and letting that move you. 
There's in the Tibetan Buddhism again they have the tankas of, and they have some very fierce looking beings in those tankas and one of them and I can't remember the name is the wrathful aspect of compassion. The wrathful who? Who? No, that's not who I'm thinking of. It might be one of them. There are many wrathful aspects. Yeah, but there's there's a certain one. It might be Yamantaka is the god of death. I can't remember the... Pardon? I can't hear. No, it's not who I'm thinking of. Pardon? Mahakala, maybe? I can't remember. Anyhow, one of those nice deities that everybody is mentioning is the wrathful aspect of compassion. And I just think even that, just get that, hear that. There's a wrathful aspect of compassion. This is definitely not Pollyanna, right? You know, there's, there's you know, blood and beings ripped up. And, and it doesn't, and what it's pointing to is a kind of strength and power that can be there with compassion that has, can have a little fury to it at times. Doesn't mean it acts out of the anger but it has that strength or that power, that force in it. Well, the kinds of things that I'm thinking about are, you know, in my world I deal with a lot of people who compartmentalize and don't feel bad when they put nasty chemicals in kids' toys. Mm -hmm. um, so you deal with people who are environmentally insensitive. To say the least. To say the least. So... And, um, you don't have to like people. You just have to love them. <laughs> now that's the great paradox. You don't have to, and you don't have to like what people do. I mean, that would be that would be crazy. If people put bad chemicals in children's toys, you would like that. Why? Of course not. But it, but you're also being asked to see as if you were the Buddha. And then what, what do you see? I always... No, no, be the Buddha for a second. Don't give me I. No, <laughs> be the Buddha. What would you see if you're the Buddha? What do you see? Um, well, compassion in the sense of they know not what they do. Uh-huh, good. The compassion in the sense of they know not what they do. Right? Jesus was actually one of the great symbols of compassion. Thank you. Let's stop there. Let's sit for a minute before we end. <laughs>